Terry and Jesse show, TGIF. Thank God I'm forgiven. You thought I was going to say, thank God it's Friday. No. My name is Jesse Rummer. This is Blue Collar Catholic Radio, High Energy Catholic Radio. I'm here to help you love God, save souls, and slayer. My partner, Terry Barber, is out doing some apostolic work. I want to start with a little quick prayer. I usually pray this before the show, but I want to pray it right now in front of you so you know what I pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, Lord, open up my lips so that my, so that my mouth may proclaim your praises. I will praise you, Lord, amongst the nations. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. Lord, give me the tongue of an angel that I may speak the truth in love. I pray this in Jesus' mighty, holy, sweet, powerful, precious name through Mother Mary's intercession. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple things I want to remind you of. The month of April is dedicated to the devotion to the Holy Eucharist. Go to Mass as often as possible. Go to do a weekly holy hour at the very least. Go pay, pay visits to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Do spiritual communion prayers every day. Also, the month of April is devoted to the Holy Spirit. I also want to remind you that those of you that would like to go to the land where Jesus walked, the Holy Land, I'm going to be leading a trip along with Father Dave Nix, October 6th through the 16th of this year, 2023. If you want more information and you want to join me for nine days in the Holy Land, myself, Father Dave Nix, my pastor, Father Craig Freely, retired military chaplain, <clears throat> just go to my website, jesseromero.com, jesseromero.com, and you can go with me, my wife Anita, Father Dave Nix, to the Holy Land, nine days, where Jesus walks. Just go to my website, jesseromero.com. I would love to hang out with you for nine days and uh, go on a nine-day retreat, because that's exactly what it is for our interior life over in the Holy Land in Israel. Also want to remind you that the Satanic Conference is coming up next week in April 28th, 29th, and 30th at the Boston Marriott Copley Place. There's a, a the, the, the tip of the spear, a good friend of mine, we become good friends as a result of this. His name is Kenneth Murphy. If you want to go out with hundreds of Catholics out there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they'll be praying. Uh, they'll be telling the time of prayers. Contact my friend Kevin Murphy. His email is uh, is uh, bostonreparation at gmail.com. Let me, let me verify that. Kenneth Murphy, it's... Uh, the the email is yes it's boston boston reparation at gmail.com boston reparation at gmail.com go and join hundreds of catholics along with american east fatima and tfp they're going to be out there praying friday saturday and sunday at the uh, in front of the satanic conference at the marriott hotel a very prestigious hotel in boston massachusetts the theme of the Satanic Conference is uh, Weekend of Blasphemy. And that involves attacks against the Catholic Church, the promotion of the Satanic Black Masses. Typically, a Black Mass involves the desecration of a consecrated host stolen from a Catholic Church. Uh, the Satanic Temple is anti-family. They're, they're anti-God. They're anti-right to life. And so as Catholics, I invite you to go and join hundreds of Catholics out there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, so you can mobilize and be organized. Make sure you contact my friend Kevin Murphy. It's bostonreparation at gmail.com. His email is bostonreparation at gmail.com. For those of you around the country, I would invite you to pray from 
sometime between 12 noon and 3 p.m. this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, Try to pray any time from 12 noon to 3 p.m. If you want to know uh, what prayers I would recommend, you can go to my website, jesseromero.com. On my front page, it says says free downloads, and I have the satanic... uh, the, the, the prayers of reparation against the temple of Satan on my website. It's a PDF download. Just go to jesseromero.com, jesseromero.com. Go to PDF downloads, and uh, the PDF file says prayers of reparation at SatanCon. And so Catholics around the country hearing my voice, find some time to pray this weekend from 12 noon to 3 p.m. we got to back up our brothers and sisters in Christ over in the East Coast where the Satanic Temple uh, is hosting a conference at the Boston Marriott Hotel. The event is billed as a weekend of blasphemy. All men of goodwill should be out there doing a peaceful, prayerful rally of reparation. Reparation for what? What does that mean? We have to repair the damage from the curses and the hexes and incandations projected against God and Our Lady by the Satanists, we have to repair the damage through our prayers and console the sacred heart of Jesus, console the Immaculate Heart of Mary from the from the blasphemies that will be projected from this conference. And so if you want to get involved, if you, if you live anywhere near the East Coast and you want to join Catholics in prayer, in peaceful prayer, uh, the police have already been notified they will be there. They will be uh, make sure making sure that the uh, that the event is peaceful. If you want to go out there and participate in praying with hundreds of other Catholics, I would invite you to uh, contact Kenneth Murphy, my friend. Go to bostonreparation at gmail.com, bostonreparation at gmail.com. Let's get some soul food into our system. Today's first reading. And by the way, that's what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to be talking about the Bible, the greatest book ever written. You're going to hear some things you've never heard of. The Bible is the greatest book ever written. But then I'm also going to be sharing the way that there's this hatred of God's word in America today by the woke left. I will demonstrate to you that there is a hatred of God's word today in America by America's woke left. And uh, I'm also going to share with you the way under the Bush administration and the Obama administration that Bibles were burned under both of these commanders-in-chief. The Bush and the Obama administration, both of them, Bibles were burned in the Middle East under their administration. And so, uh, again, surprise, surprise, what we call the uniparty uh, <laughs> that seems to be running this country. Let me share with you from God's Word today. Very inspirational. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening today. The, the, the first reading is from the book of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5. Very inspirational. The book of Acts inspires me to keep fighting the good fight of faith. The Bible says, in Fer- A Pharisee in the Sanhedrin named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law respected by all the people, stood up, ordered the apostles to, put up, to be put outside for a short time, and said to the Sanhedrin, Fellow children of Israel, be careful what you are about to do to these men. Some time ago, Thudius appeared claiming to be someone important, and about 400 men joined him, but he was killed, and all those who were loyal to him were disbanded and came to nothing. 
After him came Judas the Galilean at the time of the census. He also drew people after him, but he too perished, and all who were loyal to him were scattered. So now I tell you, have nothing to do with these men. He's talking about the apostle that were arrested. That's who these men are. The apostles who are in custody right now. He says, so I tell you now, Gamaliel says, have nothing to do with these men and let them go. For if this endeavor or this activity is of human origin, it will destroy itself. But if it comes from God, you will not be able to destroy them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. They were persuaded by Gamaliel after recalling the apostles. They had them flogged, ordered them to stop speaking in the name of Jesus and dismiss them. So they left the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. All the day long, both at the temple and in their homes, the apostles did not stop teaching and proclaiming the Christ, Jesus, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's what I call apostolic zeal. That's what I call fighting the good fight of faith. We as Catholic Christians, we come from the same stock. We are the church of the apostles. Our church is one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We should be able to accept persecution, even flogging and being in jail for the name of Jesus. Don't stop proclaiming the name of Jesus in season and out of season. As the Bible says today, if our movement, if the Catholic faith, if it just comes from mere men, it's going to disappear. It's going to vanish. It's going to disintegrate. It will, it will come to nothing one day. But if our movement comes from God, which is done, which it does because it was started by the Son of God, guess what? Anybody who fights against the Catholic Church, radical Islam, the Temple of Satan, the woke left, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, liberal, lib, liberal uh, politi- po- politicians, whoever fights against the Catholic Church, they're going to lose. We will continue burying our enemies like we buried Stalin and Pol Pot and Ho Chi Minh and Hitler and Plutarco Caius and Napoleon Bonaparte. We will continue burying the enemies of the church because our movement comes from God. It's unstoppable. And as the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yes, the Catholic Church is the pillar and foundation of truth. The Catholic Church is the bride of Christ. The Catholic Church is the mystical body of Christ. We are indestructible, the Baltimore Catechism says. The Catholic Church is indestructible because the soul of the Catholic Church is the Holy Spirit. And today's psalm at Holy Mass, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom should I be afraid? One thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Alleluia, alleluia. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us never forget that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And because he is risen, that makes life worth living. And that makes death conquerable. Today's the Feast of St. Anselm. St. Anselm, pray for us. Up next, I'm going to be talking about how great, how amazing the Holy Bible is, the greatest book ever written. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. We're back. Terry and Jesse show. Blue Collar Catholic Radio. Alleluia, alleluia. 
One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Alleluia, alleluia. Loving Father, grant each of us the true knowledge that love, the love of God, is stronger than death. I want to talk about how amazing the Holy Bible is. And there is a hatred of God's word today in America. But first of all, let me tell you how amazing this book is. Think about the word Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. The Bible in Greek is actually means biblios. In Greek, it means a library of books. I would consider the Bible a weapon of mass instruction. St. Jerome called the Bible, he called it the bulwark of the church. A man who is grounded in the testimony of the scriptures is the bulwark of the church. St. Jerome, church father. Bulwark means protection or defense. When we pray to God, uh, when we pray, we speak to God. But when we read the Bible, God speaks to us. The Bible is an ancient collection of writings. It's got two parts, Old Testament, 46 books, New Testament, 27 books. The Catholic Church says that the most important books of the Bible are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because it gives us uh, the bird's eye view from four eyewitnesses of who the Lord Jesus Christ was, the Son of God. St. Teresa of Avila, the little flower, uh, I mean, St. Teresa of Avila, doctor of the church, Carmelite, she says, quote, all the troubles of the church, all the evils in the world flow from this source, that men do not by clear and sound understanding and serious consideration penetrate into the truths of sacred scripture. Wow, doctor of the church. All the problems of the world could be fixed if we would all penetrate into the Bible and all the problems of the church would be fixed if we would all penetrate into the truths of God's word. That's what St. Teresa of Avila says. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. That means God breathed. That's what that means. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good's word. For every good work, excuse me. Uh, St. Augustine said that the Bible is God the Father's love letter to us. Did you catch that? The Bible is God's love letter to us. The Bible was collected, put together by, uh, and codified by the Catholic Church back at the Council of uh, the Council of Rome back in 382 A.D. under the orders of Pope Damasus I, where all the books of the Bible, 73 in total, were collected, and they were put together in final form in, at the Council of Rome in 382 A.D. Then the Catholic Church approved. These uh, the Old Testament, the 46 books, the New Testament, the 27 books at the Council of Hippo in North Africa and again at the Council of Carthage in 397 A.D. How do we know that the Bible is true? St. Augustine says, I would not believe the Gospels unless for the authority of the Catholic Church uh, told me so. So we believe in the authority of the Church. The Church has determined and told us which books are inspired by God. The, Bible, the Holy Spirit is the primary author of the Bible, we know that, but it was over 40 different people, mostly Hebrews, some unknown. They wrote the sacred scriptures, and most of the Bible was written in the Holy Land, uh, the land that we would call Israel, but the Bible was also written in places in Babylon, Egypt, Rome, Corinth, Ephesus, and some other places as well. The Bible was written within a span of about uh, 1,500 years from about 1400 BC to about 100 AD, that's when the Bible was written, the, 40, uh, the, the 73 books. Uh, 
I don't know if you realize that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. The, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, according to Guinea's Book of World Records. The Bible outsells every other book every single year, ever since the invention of the printing press. Even Martin Luther, the first Protestant, the, the first Protestant heretic, uh, the first Protestant reformer, he said this. After leaving the Catholic Church, he acknowledged that the Bible came from the Catholic Church. He said this, quote, We are obliged to yield many things to those Catholics that they possess the Word of God, which we received from them. Otherwise, we Lutherans should have known nothing at all about God's Word. And so you have the first Protestant reformer or deformer or distorter acknowledging that the Bible was given to the Protestants by the Catholics. Again, the four Gospels occupy the central place because Jesus is the center. And uh, the church teaches that the Bible is full. The Bible is God's word and it's fully without error. It's fully without error. The Catholic Church teaches that the Holy Bible firmly, faithfully, and without error teaches that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, wished to see confided to the sacred scriptures. Vatican II teaches that the Holy Bible is the very sacred soul, the very soul of sacred theology. The Bible is the very soul of sacred theology. And uh, Pope Benedict XVI, he also says that the normative theologians are the authors of Holy Scripture. The normative theologians of the Catholic Church are the authors of Scripture. Presidents. I'm going to quote to you many presidents and what they said about the Bible on the next segment. But I'll tell you why the Bible is in many ways, the Bible was the first book. I mean, literally, because as far as our Western culture is concerned, there was only one book. And for a while, literally, there was only one book. And that was the Bible that was printed in 1439 by a Catholic, Johann Gutenberg, when he invented the printing press. And that book, the Bible, was the very first book that was ever printed and published when the printing press was invented in 1439. Before that, the, the Bible was in scrolls and writings on papyrus. We, started, we were starting to aggregate written texts together, and they went through all sorts of technological transformations but then the bible from papyrus and from scrolls it became a book that everyone could buy and uh and it became literally the first the first book that was published that everyone could now purchase but of all those western books of all of those great western books that have emerged they've emerged from that underlying book the bible that book itself the Bible isn't a book. Like I told you, it's a library of books. It's a collection of books. But, but I can tell you this, that when you look at all the, the corpuses, all the writings that have been out there, the, the, all the ideas that we have in Western civilization, some words are dependent on other words and some ideas are dependent on other ideas. The more ideas are dependent on a given idea, the more fundamental that idea becomes. That's the definition of fundamental. So now imagine 
that you have an aggregation of text in a civilization. So you ask, which are the fundamental texts? And the answer is the text upon which other texts depend on. And so you'd get like you'd and so you'd put Shakespeare in English because so many texts are dependent on Shakespeare and his literary revelations. You also have Milton uh, with his Paradise Lost. It would also be in that category. How about Dante's Inferno? That would be it would also be in that category. What about Geoffrey Chaucer, author of the Canterbury Tales? What about Niccolo Machiavelli, the author of The Prince? What about T.S. Eliot, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien? These are fundamental authors of Western civilization. They're part of the Western canon. And not because of the arbitrary dictates of power, but because the text of these men influenced other texts. And so when you think about that as a hierarchy, the Bible is at its base. (coughs) This is certainly the case. Now imagine that the entire corpus of Western linguistic production, think about that. Now you can understand that and, and, and you sample it by reading it and listening to stories and listening to people talk. And so you sample that whole domain and you build a low resolution representation of that inside of you. Then you listen and see through that lens. The Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth because all the great works in Western civilization, Shakespeare, Milton, Dante, Chaucer, Machiavelli, Eliot, Lewis, Tolkien, all the great works of Western civilization, all of them have been borrowed from this corpus. The precondition for all Western civilization is the Holy Bible, which makes the Holy Bible more true than anything else. That's the foundation of all Western civilization, of of all Western thought. Even our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, our Pledge of Allegiance, and our great national hymns are all a manifestation of what's taught in the Bible. The knowledge of God by reason, the knowledge of the Ten Commandments, the knowledge of the Golden Rule, these truths that are stamped into the Catholic DNA. Why? Because of the Holy Bible. This is why we say Catholics should have a biblical worldview and not a secular worldview. What we commonly refer to what's going on in America as a culture war It's fundamentally, it's a conflict between those of us that have a biblical worldview and those of us that have a secular humanist worldview. Of all the books that have been written, the Bible is a weapon of mass instruction. The Bible has been known to cause, reading the Bible has been known to cause radical, positive, life-changing alteration. Any other book that you read has good information. Some of it, some some not so much. All of the books are books of information, but the Holy Bible is a book of transformation. And the Holy Bible, it it gives a special revelation about God so that we can know God and love God and serve God in this lifetime and spend all eternity with Him in the next. Because in the Bible... God reveals his will to us by more direct communication. God tells us something about his nature and what we must do to attain the destiny that he's planned for us called heaven. The Holy Bible 
to me, I look at it, it's like it's like a window in this prison world of ours through which we may look into eternity. And no man, get this, no man is uneducated who knows the Bible and no one is wise who is ignorant of its teachings. The Bible is truth for all of us. And the Bible is not just true for you. It's true for all of us. Bible, basic instruction before leaving earth. Remember that. There's going to be an exit interview. There's going to be final exams. Are you ready? Wake up, America. Wake up. Reading the Bible is the way to listen to God every day. And you'll be amazed at how many times the daily mass readings will relate perfectly to something going on in your life. Hey, stick around. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to be talking about the hatred of God's word in America today. What's called in theology, odium fide. We're back to Terry and Jesse show. Alleluia, alleluia. One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Alleluia, alleluia. Loving Father, grant us a true knowledge in our hearts to realize that the love of Christ is stronger than our own death. We're talking about the Holy Bible, the greatest book ever written. We know that the Bible is reliable It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. It was written on hundreds of subjects, yet there's one consistent, non-contradictory theme that runs through all its pages. What is that? God's redemption of mankind. That's the clear teaching that runs through all 73 books. God's redemption of the human race. Clearly, This statistical probability is a powerful indicator of the divine origin and the reliability of the Bible. Heaven and earth will pass away, our Lord said, but my words will not pass away. And our society is suffering from not tooth decay, it's suffering from truth decay. I encourage you to read the daily mass readings. Make that part of your spiritual life. Make that part of your interior life. As you read the daily mass readings, as you read the Holy Bible, it will bring you comfort and it will give you advice and it will bring you closer to God. In fact, it's like getting a love letter every day from somebody you love because it's God's love letter to you. Now, there's a a term in theology, it's called Odium fide, hatred of the faith. The Catholic Church put the Bible together. The the Bible, the the, the fact that anybody has a Bible on planet Earth, that's because of the Catholic Church. It was the Catholic Church that put the 73 books together at the Council of Rome in 382 AD. It was the Catholic that invented the printing press, Johann Gutenberg in 1439. And the first book that this lay Catholic published was the Catholic Holy Bible. And so it was the Catholic Church that has 
determined which books were authentic, which ones were forgeries. It was the Catholic Church which gave us a table of contents. It was the Catholic Church that has preserved, protected, canonized, codified the Holy Bible for the last 2,000 years. The Catholic Church and the Bible is a marriage made in heaven. But the devil has been trying to destroy the Bible, and he uses politics to do so. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 407, if you read it, it says that Satan has a certain domination over the human person because of our concupiscence, our fallen nature, the sin of Adam and Eve. And so one of the things that the devil does, he goes after us, but he uses four weapons, the Catechism says. He uses politics, he uses education, he uses morality, and he uses social action. So I want to talk about the first attack of Satan against the human race, which is politics and education, number one and two. Satan started attacking, openly attacking politically God's word, uh, using politics and, and, and education. The first attack, I would say, was very clear, was in 1962. There was a U.S. Supreme Court decision Actually, let me let me hit the real. It was actually in 1964 in the first attack uh, by by Satan using politics, a political structure, against uh, God and His Church. In 1961, secular humanism was given legal status by the U.S. Supreme Court in a case called Torcaso versus Watkins, and the court sided with Torcaso, who was an avowed atheist over and above the Maryland Constitution, Article 37, which required those who hold public office must believe in God. Well, that was abolished by the Supreme Court, and this was a victory for the secular humanist hedonist. Then we move on. The next attack against, this one really against, uh, again, the, the faith, odium fide, hatred of the faith. This was in 1962, this was Ingall versus Vitali, 1962. This was a landmark U.S. Supreme Court case in which the court ruled that it is unconstitutional for state officials to compose an official school prayer and encourage its recitation in public schools due to violation of the First Amendment. And the ruling has been the subject of intense debate. The effect that Engel versus Vitali gave us the effect was that in 1962, praying in public school was banned. Again, that's a satanic attack against the, 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 the body of Christ using politics and education, the U.S. Supreme Court. Then we move to 1963. Here was another attack by, the, by Satan using the Supreme Court which is a political structure and, and, and a structure of education. It was called Abington School District versus Shemp. This was in 1963. This was a U.S. Supreme Court case in which the court decided eight to one in favor of the respondent, Edward Shemp, on behalf of his son, Allery Shemp, and declared that school-sponsored Bible reading and the recitation of the Lord's Prayer in public schools in the U.S., was unconstitutional. So the effect that Abington School District versus Shemp in 1963, the effect of this Supreme Court decision was that in 1963, 
Bible teachings were banned in public schools. Do you think Satan was happy? I think so. Let's move over to 1980. Let's fast forward to 1980. Here is another blow against the Holy Bible. In 1980, in the U.S. Supreme Court decision called Stone versus Graham, 1980, the Supreme Court ruled that a Kentucky law that required the posting of the Ten Commandments on the wall of every public school classroom in the state violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment because the purpose of the display was essentially religious. So the effect was that since 1980, the Ten Commandments, per orders by the Supreme Court, have been removed from public school classrooms. What do you think about that? I think that's horrible. We don't need less of God's Word. We need more of God's Word. The devil's political structure is communism and socialism. That's a satanic, Luciferian political structure. And we're dealing with that now here in America. There's many people on the left, the Democrat Party, and even some rhino Republicans, they embrace socialism. They embrace uh, uh, Marxism. Let me share with you a couple of, let me go back in history here. And again, both parties are guilty of this the Bush administration and the Biden Obama administration. I'm going to highlight both administrations. Here's an article back May 18th, 2009. The article is called the Pentagon under the Obama administration has just acknowledged seizing and burning the privately owned Bibles of American soldiers serving in Afghanistan. Let me read to you the salient parts. A video shows a U.S. soldier at Pogrom Airfield in Afghanistan talking about distributing Bibles to local residents as gifts. It stirred a great deal of controversy when shown recently as part of a news report by the Arab network Al Jazeera. It rankled a number of Afghan officials in this deeply conservative Islamic community where many already view U.S. forces as Christian crusaders. But it also irked some evangelical Christians in the U.S., who thought the U.S. military's response unfairly stepped on the religious rights of a Christian soldier. Of particular concern was the fate of the Bibles. Gordon James Glinkenschmidt of the Pray in Jesus Name Project, the former U.S. Navy chaplain, took out an advertisement in Human Events, a conservative publication, with the headline, Breaking News. Pentagon burns soldiers' Bibles, military chaplains attacked. The story begins, quote, The Pentagon under the Obama administration has just acknowledged seizing and burning the privately owned Bibles of American soldiers serving in Afghanistan. The video in question shot a year ago by an independent filmmaker shows a small group of, of uniformed U.S. soldiers at a prayer service at the base in Pogrom, A soldier explains that his local church in the United States collected money and sent a package of Bibles, which are seen stacked on the floor, printed in the country's main, uh, printed in the country's main Pashto and Dari language. The base chaplain quickly notes in the video that the U.S. military policy, the U.S. Central Command's General Order Number One, specifically prohibits active duty troops from proselytizing any religious faith or practice. The soldiers then mentions the possibility of distributing Bibles to locals as gifts. 
a year later, the video became the centerpiece of a controversial May 4th, 2009 story on Al Jazeera that questioned whether some U.S. military had crossed the line into into evangelism and proselytizing. Lieutenant Colonel Mark Wright said the Bibles were confiscated and thrown away, and every day as a matter of course, the garbage on the bases burned. So that's what became of the Bibles. Any impression that there was some sort of formal book burning, book burning, he said, is false. The Pentagon under the Obama administration did just acknowledge that the Bibles were confiscated, but it's important to note that the prayer meeting video was shot a year ago, and so the Bibles were confiscated and destroyed under the Bush administration. The clear implication of this advertisement is, is that soldiers aren't allowed to have their own Bibles. The incident in question involved one soldier, not soldiers. The only real issue is when a soldier intends to use his or her Bible to evangelize about Christianity to the local population, a practice that violates a military policy unrelated to who is the president. Let me share with you another article. It says, this is from the National Catholic Register. It says, where were Obama apologies when armed forces burned Bible? This is from EWTN, National Catholic Register. I'll share with you up next. This is Jesse Romero talking to you about love of the Bible and hatred of the Bible at the same time in America. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, Here's Terry and Jesse. Hallelujah, hallelujah. One does not live by bread alone, but everybody lives. But we live from what comes from for the mouth of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm talking about love of the Bible and hatred of the Bible in this nation. There's an article, it was written back in 2012, 2012, when Obama was in his third year as president. It says, where were Obama apologies when armed forces burned Bible? So Obama was president for three years at this point because he was, he was president in 2009. It says official response to the February 22nd burning of copies of the Quran at Pogrom Field by NATO troops has been a breathtakingly thorough exercise in damage control. The profusion of apologies from government and military officials, including but not limited to President Obama, Defense Secretary Leon Panetta, and General John Allen, who was commanding NATO forces in Afghanistan, are only the beginning, according to the New York Times. Within a few hours of learning about the episode, General Allen ordered an investigation, and by the day's end, he issued an order for every coalition soldier in Afghanistan to complete training in the next 10 days in the proper handling of religious materials, i.e. the Quran. Well, all I can say that it's good to know that the administration's military leadership are concerned about armed forces understanding the proper handling of religious materials, i.e. the Quran. One could easily have gotten a very different idea from that earlier incident in which military personnel at Pogrom Airfield, the very same location, burned stacks of confiscated Bibles. Military personnel threw away and ultimately burned confiscated Bibles that were printed in the two most common Afghan languages amid concern that they would be used to try to convert Afghans 
a Defense Department spokesman said on, on, on uh, the, the following day. The unsolicited Bibles sent by a church in the U.S. were confiscated about a year ago at Pagram Air Base in Afghanistan because military... So this article was written in 2012, so this was another confiscation which took place in 2011. All right? Um, they were confiscated about a year ago, that would have been 2011, at Pagram Air, Air Base in Afghanistan because military rules forbid uh, forbid troops of any religion from proselytizing while deployed there, Lieutenant Colonel Mark Wright said. Such religious outreach can endanger American troops and civilians in the devoutly Muslim nation, Lieutenant Wright said. The decision was made that it was a force protection measure to throw them away because if they did not get, if they did get out, it could be perceived by Afghans that the U.S. government or the U.S. military was trying to convert Muslims, Lieutenant Wright told CNN. So troops at posts in war zones are required to burn their trash, Lieutenant Wright said. You can see where military personnel at Pagram's airfield might have been confused about the propriety of burning religious materials after that, can't you? I mean... It was okay when it was burning Bibles in 2009. Now suddenly in 2012, it's not okay to burn Korans? How were the poor troops meant to know the difference? At least I assume President Obama had no problem with the 2009 Bible burnings at Pogrom Airfield. I sure don't remember him and any other government and military falling over themselves to apologize for that. The reality is that the Obama administration couldn't care less about the proper handling of religious materials. Their sole concern is what will or won't offend potentially violent Muslims. Not because of any exaggerated respect for Islam in particular, uh, but because angry Muslims equals violence. Who cares about burning Christian holy books? What are the Christians going to do about it? In practice, the proper handling of religious materials means if religious objects offend Muslims, burn them. But if the burning of religious objects offends Muslims, apologize for burning them. Whatever it takes not to offend Muslims, because again, they're the ones who get violent when offended. As a postscript, some American Christians feel, not entirely wrongly, that Muslim veneration of the Quran exceeds Christian veneration of the Bible. And therefore, desecrating Qurans is a bigger deal to Muslims than desecrating the Bible is to Christians. That's not entirely incorrect. For Muslims, the Quran is the supreme self-revelation of God, while for Christians, the supreme self-revelation of God is not the Bible, but Jesus Christ himself. Let me share to you another article. It's by by Todd Starnes, Fox News. It's called The Day the U.S. Military Burned the Bible in Afghanistan. So, in 2008, when Bush was president, American troops confiscated, threw away, and burned God's word at Pogrom Air Force Base in Afghanistan. The Bibles were written in, in the Pashto and Dari languages, and the Defense Department was concerned the books might somehow be used to convert Afghans. The accident became, or the incident, excuse me, 
The incident became public in 2009. Lieutenant Colonel Mark Wright told CNN such religious outreach could endanger American troops and civilians because Afghanistan is a devoutly Muslim country. But there was another reason the Bibles were confiscated. Military rules forbid troops from proselytizing in the country. The decision was made that it was that it was a force protection measure to throw them away because if they did get it out, it could be perceived by Afghans that the U.S. government or the U.S. military was trying to convert Muslims. Lieutenant Wright said in an interview. So that might explain why the Bible, the Bibles were confiscated and thrown away. But why burn the Holy Scriptures? Lieutenant Colonel Wright explained to the news network that troops at posts in war zones are required to burn their trash. I can only imagine the anguished Christian soldiers who were forced to toss the to toss the Bibles into the roaring fire. I can only imagine what they were thinking as the blazes consumed verses like John 3:16. I can only imagine the heartache of the American church that collected the Bibles and sent them overseas to share the good news of Jesus. So why not just collect the Bibles and send them back to the same church that sent them here in the U- that sent them here from the United States? The, mil- the military admitted in an interview that they considered sending the Bibles back, but they worried the church would send them to another organization in Afghanistan, and that would give the impression that Bibles were distributed by the U.S. government. In other words, the only way to guarantee that no Bibles would be sent to Afghanistan soil was to destroy the books. So how did the Obama administration respond to the 2009 revelation of such a horrific act? The Obama administration was silent. There were no apologies, no condemnations from either the Bush administration in 2008 or the Obama administration in 2009. There was no condemnation from the State Department. There was no condemnation from the Pentagon. Perhaps that's to be expected from a president who once declared, Obama once said, quote, whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We're also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers, close quote, said Barack Obama. Certainly, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGannis said, certainly the armed forces should be sensitive to people's religious symbols or texts. Instead of returning, of burning the Bibles, this Lieutenant McGinnis, he said, instead of burning the Bibles, there's no reason that they shouldn't have been returned to those who purchased the Bibles. But we recognize that in a Muslim country, Christians are not just welcome, but the hypocrisy is pretty well established. It's disconcerting. So he's talking about even more disconcerting, the article says, is the Obama's administration's blatant attacks on religious liberty, leaving many to wonder if this president considers Christians to be second class citizens. That's uh, that's Obama. So if you burn a Bible silenced by the Obama administration, but if you burn a Quran, the Obama administration will send private letters of apology and public condemnations. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh. There's another article here that says Obama rips the Bible and praises the Quran. Very well written. Uh, The Obama administration has routinely attacked religious organizations, especially Catholic ones and people who violate Obama's 
personal political predilections, uh, <clears throat> whether, they use, whether they're using Obamacare to force religious individuals to pay for others, contraception, forcing contraception, or toning down National Day of Prayer, uh, whether they're covering a monogram of Jesus. Most people don't realize that. Obama was invited when he was president to speak at Georgetown University. And when he was going to go up on stage, there was a monogram with the name of Jesus right over the stage. Obama told the president of the university that he would not go up and give a speech until the name of Jesus, the monogram of Jesus was covered at Georgetown University. And so those that invited him, they got uh, they got ladders and they covered the monogram of the name of Jesus. Then and only then did Barack Obama give his presidential speech. Clearly, the Obama administration is not fond of Christianity. In fact, Obama is the president who once said he, he has this romantic view of Islam. He's the one that famously called the Muslim prayer. He said, quote, the Muslim prayer is the sweetest sound I know on earth, close quote. Uh, and Barack Obama, he's actually, uh, he's, he's also said in his first presidential interview that his job was to communicate to the American people that the Muslim world is filled with extraordinary people who simply want to live their lives and, set their ch- and see their children live better lives. And weeks later in Turkey, he said, we will convey our deep appreciation. I want to convey our, convey our deep appreciation to the Islamic faith, which has done so much over the centuries to shape the world, including in my own country. That's a wrap. Love of God's word, hatred of God's word. I hope I hope I showed you two polarities. This is the Terry and Jesse show. Remember, the month of April is dedicated to the Holy Eucharist and dedicated to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come by the powerful intercession of the most blessed Virgin Mary, your most chaste spouse. And remember, Catholics, live in a state of grace. Let's get to heaven. Be holy or die trying. Live in a state of grace in friendship with God, free from mortal sin. Pray your rosary every day. Read your Bible every day. Get God's word into your mind and soul every single day. And become holy or die trying. And remember, flee this corrupt generation, as St. Peter says, the first pope. Well, keep on listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We have great programming throughout the day. We want to just help you know your faith, share your faith, and wear your faith. God bless you. Keep the faith. Long live Christ the King.